Hi, welcome to A Small Medium at Large, a podcast. I'm your host, Gail Heisen, bringing you stories that heal. So today, we're going to welcome a very special guest, Sally, Dr. Sally Rhinefeather, who comes to us from Durham, North Carolina. Sally grew up with her parents, a very famous J.B. Rhine and her mother, Louisa Rhine. They were the founders of the, what is known today as the parapsychology, and they started at Duke University, their lab, where their daughter, Sally Rhinefeather, participated at the age of six years old until the present day today, doing research, experiments, and work, and working with all the different people that her father brought through the Institute at the Duke University. Sally has written two very interesting books. Her first book called The Gift, ESP, The Extraordinary Experiences of Ordinary People, which came out in 2005. And then most recently this year in 2021, J.B. Rhine Letters from 1929, 1923, excuse me, till 1939, ESP and the Foundation of Parapsychology. This is a collection of letters that her father had in correspondence with others that she's sharing with the rest of the world now from the many, many files of the Rhine Research Center. So today we wanna welcome Sally here and we look forward to hearing about what her life was like growing up in such an interesting family. Sally, welcome to a small, medium at large podcast. How are you today? Thank you, Gail. How, how are you today? I'm pretty, pretty good. Wonderful. An old lady, a very old lady. Uh, a very inspirational lady. I, I have to say, everybody always says the first thing is, and yes, she's the daughter of J.B. Ryan, but really you're so much more than just the daughter of J.B. Ryan. You've carried his, his legacy through into the next generation and you've done an amazing job. I know you're still at the Ryan Research Center and you're doing uh, assistance with, uh, you have guest speakers that come, you have people that share their stories, and you also have a place for people to be able to unload experiences they may not be able to share with other people. So you provide a very great service besides also the educational programs that you have, and also that you're leaving uh, a place for future generations that are younger than all of us to be able to step up to which I hope that they're going to do in the future. <laughs> so I was wondering, my first question really is, how was it growing up in this family with your siblings and were you inclined more towards your dad's research and work than the other siblings or were all of you involved as a family? Well, it's like uh, whatever two parents you have who work together as my parents did, whatever they did was, uh, you know, interesting to you, probably, uh, you know, if they fixed cars, then you thought that cars were the best thing. So my, in, in our case, it was cards with a D on the end of it, because we, cards were, testing cards were way we played games, uh, games to us as children. Uh, I was, at six, I was the oldest girl, and, um, and, and so I was able to, you know, a little ahead of my two little sisters, and my brother, he was always, he told me later, he's always asked about, are you going to follow in your father's footsteps? And people sort of expected him to do something. And I think that was a turnoff for him. But, but as a child, we had fun. He, uh, 
he was really good at throwing dice, which is another part of the testing for adults. But for kids, it was just a game. And he was really good at that. And he could beat my dad at, at throwing dice, as it said in the book, uh, we found out as I read this book of my dad's. So, you know, it was just a normal family that was interested in an unusual thing. And we knew it was unusual after a while as we got older, uh, but not when we were kids. So this was a very uh, inspiring uh, family lifestyle to be playing games that are also using the abilities that children, I think, naturally still have when they sleep, they're, they're, they're young. Did you find that to be true? Right. Later, as I started to collect, I'll pay attention to my mother's stories that she collected. I realized what you know so well is that uh, children are the, well, as somebody said, maybe was it Larry Doss, somebody said telepathy is, infancy is the cradle of telepathy, mm -hmm. as if between mama and baby or uh, daddy or grandmother, there is more perhaps telepathy expressed and it's, it's just taken for granted before you had a name for it. But when the child wasn't in, in the other room and you suddenly knew uh, what they were up to, not because you might've just known that because you knew this kid was always up to something. But if you knew this child was about ready to jump out the window uh, and uh, never had before, that would probably be telepathy. Yes. So often they, they, they say the mother has a gut or intuitive feeling or connection to their child already. Yeah. And this can then be enhanced. I'm, I was thinking about when you were growing up, if I've had these incidents with my children where I know that they're doing things and they come back home and I say to them, were you just doing this and this and this? And they say, how did you know? <laughs> did you have a lot of that with your parents? Well, I wasn't, I wasn't really going to be a, become a, a gifted enough to become a medium. So I, I as a mother or a child, I didn't know, a whole, I don't think I knew a whole lot more. I, I was good at the games, but I don't remember too many experiences of my own. Maybe it's because we studied them all the time and they weren't unique. Just <laughs> it, like every it's day. to hear about other people's. So yeah. you were mentioning something that I think also has to do with the era and time when you was th that everyone thought that your father's son would be the one to step up to the plate and be, because in those days, the man was the head of the company and the man was the president of the charge or whatever it was. Uh -huh. So I would think this was the same at the university and other places that nobody would even think that a daughter would step up to the plate. No. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. So now my, my dad wasn't that way, but, but in a way he was, like in this book of his, there's very, very little mention of my mother. And yet she was always behind whatever he was doing in, this, in spite of the fact of having four kids to raise primarily by herself during the daytime anyway. Um, she, she also kept up with the research and in fact did some research of her own. Uh, and it's not mentioned, not because my dad didn't think she was important. He did, but it just wasn't done. You don't bring your wife into the book that's, or the letters that you're writing to some uh, donor or uh, other researcher. So, uh, it's very obvious it was of that era. But in our case, there was no resentment because my mother understood it and she laughed along with everything else and she was good natured. Mm -hmm. She must have been a wonderful person to be able to manage all of these things and <laughs> then also be herself. Right, I mean, it's almost uh, as hard as starting a science, isn't it, to raise children? 
Yes. How many children? But he gets the credit. So were you, were there four of you in the children? There were four of us. An older, my older brother, I mentioned, and then the two younger sisters, one who's still living. So she and I can laugh about the same things you and I are laughing about now. And it's right. Really, yeah. <laughs> That's very good to have. Did so so is there just one sibling left right now? Uh myself and one sibling. That's correct. And, one sibling. and um so was she uh you you guys can talk about things that happened when you were kids and growing up and remember and laugh about the things that happened. Did she continue in her adult life with any of this or did she no. choice a different career? That's a different career. She's making quilts, bereavement uh-huh. quilts. People out in the, out in near, um, in, in Washington, Vancouver, Washington. And she's happy doing that. And she, I sent my book to her and to three of her sons out there. And um, she's fine and it's great. And Sally, I'm glad you're doing that. And I said, I'm glad I'm not making quilts. <laughs> <laughs> I read something about, I read something about one of uh, the grandsons uh, saying how uh, their grandfather was the man who coined the word ESP and that um, uh, for the many generations that that was the first like sixth sense or your, da- your dad was really the first person that was presenting this idea out into the mainstream public as this word extrasensory perception. Is that correct? That's that, that that's correct. Uh, of course, telepathy and clairvoyance were well known among particularly uh, the British people who studied psychical research. It was well known, but that word wasn't used. Uh, no, in fact, now it's almost out of date and, and people working in the field use the expression psi, P-S-I, to mean ESP. It's a little more professional, I guess. But ESP is fine. It's still a household term, I suppose. It's definitely ESP. I grew yeah. up with that one. That's the one I feel the most connected to. Yeah. Though I am in the group of people using psi all the time, but I prefer the ESP word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it tells me a lot of information. And, and, and methods changed. The, method, the methods that we thought were so much fun then would be so dull now to many people because there's so many interesting bells and whistles for from two years old on up, you know. But still, if you can play a game that your parents are interested in, you somehow, that endows it with a special meaning if you're happy when, you, you know, it makes mom and dad happy when we play this game or when we throw this dice. Well... Uh, that's two for one. You can win something maybe and you can get your parents thinking you're special or helpful. I I actually, I understand that because when I've been a subject for um, experiments with uh, Dr. Dean Radin or Russell Targ, I always want to do the best I can for them that the results should make them happy. Exactly. And I really think the intention of going in with wanting to please someone really yeah. does help to give a good uh, positive energy around the work that you're doing. You're, you put your finger on something extremely important. We found over the years, I say we, I mean, my father and his team, uh, that it, that kind of experimenter uh, is much more likely to induce or allow ESP to occur with their, with rather than the matter of fact, cut and dried experiments that you might have in a traditional 
psychology class uh, experiment. And I don't know what's going on in psychology today, but if you're trying to learn, teach your child, um, study the process of learning, do you just sit there and stare at them or do you play with them and have fun with them? And the latter and motivation is so important for society to occur in a controlled situation. I, I don't know if you've ever had this experience in the lab, but I, I wanted to share one uh, little quick story about a lab mm-hmm. experience I had where um, it was a, an experiment you must be familiar with, but it was new to me called the Gonsfield experiment. And I did the experiment at the Institute of Noetic Sciences and I was in the Faraday cage, which is the electromagnetically shielded box so that there's no interference. And uh, the other person was up in Dean's office looking at the computer and looking at the picture. And within the first 25 seconds or 30 seconds, I described what the picture was. It was uh, the Great Pyramid. And then I'm sitting there sort of bored because the experiment's supposed to go on for 20 minutes. So I don't know what else I'm supposed to be doing because I could just make up stories then. So instead, I started to, he started, since the person who was doing the other end of it had never been in an experiment in their life, it was very new for them. They didn't know what they were supposed to do and Dean was busy at his desk. So the man started looking around the room at other things. And as he was looking at the other things, I would say, Oh, oh, you're looking at a picture of someone on a boat. Oh, and now you're looking at this. Now you're looking at that. Well, all of a sudden, Dean turned over and saw that he was looking all around the room and said, oh, no, 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 you're supposed to focus on the target. (laughs) So it wasn't until, I don't know, maybe a year and a half later from this experiment that this film crew came from uh, Japan, this from the NHK, and they were filming, they went around the world and made a documentary about the paranormal. And I very fortunately got included in this documentary. So while they were filming the man and asking about our Gunsfield experiment, that was the moment I found out that I'd been describing all these other things in the room, but he never bothered to tell anyone because <laughs> he thought, well, I don't know what you're doing these experiments. <laughs> I was thinking how sometimes in the lab there's more things going on than what's actually the 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 scientific experiment that's set up and I was wondering did you experience that as you were seeing experiments going on at 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 the lab with your father well I didn't see it happen because in that day everything was fairly simple and trying to cut out as many intervals as many factors as that. Um, he began with a very simple process because he didn't know what he was doing. And so you start with something small and then gradually what you're talking about now would have been expanded. Or maybe if they'd shown a picture, a bunch of, show me a picture like in the remote viewing now when you're looking at either a, a picture of something or more likely an actual event, there's so many other things. That was not what, JB didn't want to start out that way because it's hard to learn something at the very beginning. It, it, the first step is to make it as simple as possible. Don't have any visitors come into the room and interfere with the experiment because that would probably have a negative effect. So just leave it as simple as you can, careful, so there's no errors or deception. But no, it was it was so much simpler than as and need be, I think. I know your dad lived until uh, 1980. 
And mm -hmm. the remote viewing, which I've been involved in for the last decade or so, or more, mm -hmm. longer, two decades, um, did he know of that kind of work then? Or was he pretty much retired and not looking into things? It, it sounded like I was listening in, in an interview that even upon his, his, his passing, he had said, the work must go on. Oh, he did. That was his last words when he went to bed the night he died. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, very powerful. Yeah. Well, that was that was his beginning and end, as, as in the book, you could see it in his own words. He was a person who had, once he decided what he really wanted to do with my mother's backing, he was, he, he was focused on that. Not that he wasn't interested. He got interested in a lot of other sidelines, like was there ESP in animals? But once again, if you start going in that direction, and, and, and at first he did, uh, or, or mediumship, which he wanted to study, but he felt you can't, we weren't ready to study that because we didn't know the basics. Mm -hmm. And the basics meaning can ESP itself occur because mediums need that. If you're going to know what something's happening, it's got to either be by a type of clairvoyance or something of that sort, at least in, that, in, in the theories that they were considering. And certainly, uh, so it was that it was a it was a time to keep things on one track, which then then after a while got very boring, and, and they had to spread it out, and the people got annoyed because he. But he he you see in the letters he's doing it not because he just was loved cards or or you know simple things like that, but nice. but trying to learn as much as they could in one form and then add another variable, not get too spread out. So. Currently at the Rhine Research, have you been able to then expand from the different areas that the fields that he was looking in? Have you gone into oh, oh yeah cognition since the, the 1930 days and 40s? They were beginning to well remote viewing, which didn't happen at, at the Rhine Center until well the Gonsfeld that you talked about was a, has features of remote viewing, but it's all in one room. But that. I'm not really up on every who, who started this or that, but the Gonshell came along and then other people remote viewing came along and are now being researched. And we there had one experiment where they were trying to use factors from one in the other, share, so forth. And now it's it's a much broader, we haven't even mentioned psychokinesis or mind over matter, the, the, the dice throwing. That has morphed now into several other lines with machines where it could be operated playing games or some people think that healing now healing may not be psychokinesis but it might be certainly mentally influencing the health of other people which we know is a it's been here as long as the world has had people in it has been that feeling that that could happen and but we we're studying that now in some ways but also they're studying uh, is there some special energy related to healing the bioenergy? And that's one research that will get going when the lab opens up again. It's had to close down because of the pandemic. It's not closed entirely, but the research has had to stop. But that's one influence, the healing study that's being studied greatly at the Rod Center now. That, that interests me tremendously because that's yeah. actually where I sort of began my developments of psychic abilities or whatever we want to call these different abilities we all we all have and some just have them stronger than others uh which was doing medical diagnosis okay uh which i did on stage for a year and a half 
uh, in front of a few hundred people. And all I would be told is the name and the age and the city where the person lived. And I was able to tell them physically what was wrong with them, what kind of illnesses they had, even things they'd had like broken arms or things from years before. I was able to see in this vision that, you know, the leg had been damaged or things like this. Yeah, yeah. And um, I was talking with Russell Tard recently. And I think because my husband just did an app for him, a new remote viewing app called the Stargate Trainer. Yes, yes. And it's with the with all the photos and it's a wonderful, wonderful app. And um, he said that healing and working with that part is much actually more easier and clearer than, say, looking for whether it's a picture that's a mountain or okay. that there's a stronger, I think, a stronger yeah. signal. I don't that's want you to quote me on that. Yeah. Yeah, because it's the only way it's been compared up till now. Yes, and also I find that when I have spontaneous things that have occurred, it's usually a trauma for somebody. It's not, I don't usually get, I've had a few great sexual ones that were very fun, but usually I get information like, oh my God, this person's going to get hurt or something's happening on their trip where they're traveling or seems like things of a, uh, a more uh, heightened nature on illness comes through much stronger than do you say mean emotional, or do you mean uh, more dangerous? Uh, danger signs. If something physically is going to happen to them, like they might have cancer or things yeah. like this. Yeah. Even as a child, I was always able to sense that in another person without knowing why but just in their presence feel like, oh my God, they're going to die very soon. You know, that kind of information. Right. Yeah. Well, that, that's sort of, that is so basic. And I think it's in many ways, it's the most important work any of us could do because, and it's been around for so long. It's not like this is something new. Nobody discovered this. People have been saying it. And what the science is just say is trying to do is saying, can we learn a little bit more about who, what kind of person, is a healer like you are or what when and how and okay I mean you've probably seen variations yourself and, and have learned a certain way of doing it that would be helpful to a research person who's studying you or well just even recently this Sunday I found that the way it seems to work for me is that I have to get out of the way ah. and as long as I get out of the way with my mental mind thoughts which is also what you do when you remote view I can then let the information come through that has to do with the healing or what the what I, I sort of feel like, oh, the person needs me to make this sound very loud or the person needs me to tell them about the love inside or I just listen to those and it just briefly comes through and I know what to say. Okay. I plan nothing. Okay. I leave it all completely to spontaneous. And exactly. I always say I don't know what's going to happen because I don't. No, it's, it, it is like channeling. I mean, it's as if it's coming, and I can see why, it, and maybe it's true that it's coming from another source, uh, a spirit world um, uh, or not, but what, whatever it, it is, it's, it's coming to you. I have just finished reading a book by Jill Bolte-Taylor, the late woman that had the stroke that took out her left, her left side of her brain. And in this first book of hers, it's just a small book, uh, she's not talking paranormal at all. She she herself was a neuroanatomist, but she talked about the two parts of her brain and she completely wiped out 
that the stroke did um, at, at a young age for her, um, her way of talking and communicating in words. But when she got it back again, she, she when she compared the, le the left side of the brain was all full of a magical, um, beautiful, anything artistic and, and how people would feel. It's almost like something's coming in from one side and you don't want to cloud it up. It's just what you hear in remote viewing. You don't want to interfere with reasoning and saying, oh, that can't be. And as she, I, I applied what she was saying about the brain, what I hear over and over again, but you're describing very clearly since you've had so much for so long. I, I knew you'd done other things, but like helping people find things or something, but mostly it's healthy, health related or um, in your case, I think. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Well, I think uh, the fact that we are all connected as one is one of the reasons that it's, it's a shame about the skeptics out there when they don't realize that we're really all one connected universe. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not God bless America. It's, it's, it's God bless the world, wow. all of us. And uh, that's something that I feel mm -hmm. like that's been lost that telepathy is, I mean, I've been involved in a lot of different, you know, Native American or uh, other types of cultures. Right. And in other cultures, te telepathy is like a normal way of being. They don't think of it as you're special or that this is something amazing. It's the way that they live. Yeah. And I feel like we as a culture have lost a lot of that, that and we try to take families more apart instead of bringing people more closer together. And I, I feel like the younger generation, I don't know if we could speak about this, what's happening in the field of parapsychology for the future? Do you have grandchildren or children or someone that's gonna step up in, in, in place for you to carry on the work, to carry on your their grandfather or their father's work? How is that? How is, How's the progression of this field going now? If your dad was alive today, what would he say? Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I don't know. It's it's complicated, and I'm 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 not uh, enamored of it having to be the same way it has been because the history was just the beginning. But you don't want to, and there's something there's something good about the fact that you can research it. But if research doesn't mean cutting off the losing losing what you're studying because you're being so careful, so careful that you're breaking the laws of uh, that are there that we haven't yet discovered. But I think that we, on the one hand, most any researcher will tell you that that our factors, like we talked about earlier, that people must be friendly to each other. They must be caring about each other in order to do this. You don't just the man on the street is not going to probably tell you that you you. You're going to die tomorrow. And, and Nessie is uh, somebody who's very much in touch with the whole world, an unusual personality or uh, a religious person or something. So there's a lot missing and a lot of gaps in between. And I have not kept up. I'm going to try to, now that this book is finished, I'm going to try to catch up with what's going on and where it's going on. But I do see at the Ryan Center a lot of this, what we're talking about. I mean, they have this group of people that meet regularly and among each other, and I'm sure they have figured out a lot of the things we're saying, but not on a, maybe on a research basis. We, we do have a research, uh, a healing group, and, and from what they learn, they can take that and make that into a, 
help them with the research. There should be an overlap between uh, so that we can learn something and pass it on in a specific way. And above all, get science to pay attention to us because without that, Gail, where's the funding going to come from? With, if science doesn't back you up and say you can go to school and study this and here will help you get a degree and there are not many places where you can do that now. Um, it, it, it's hard to keep it going. This is the shame that it shouldn't have to be a struggle with all the wealth around us to not support something as important as the Rhine Research Center that's doing work on the, you know, it's groundbreaking work that needs to continue on. And to, to you know, people are gonna find, I found it very interesting. As I said, I started with this remote viewing groups in 1998. I wasn't trained as a remote viewer, but I was able to do this remote viewing, but I did notice that at that time, spirituality was not part of the remote viewing thing. It was all sort of, this is the way you do it. This is the protocol, et cetera. Just like a lab. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I was just at a, attended a Zoom conference with one of the, uh, I think it's associate, associative remote viewing. I'm not sure, the AAP or one of these. Mm -hmm. And I was like, so thrilled that they had a guest speaker from England that spoke all about spirituality. There were things they were they there. It's like their eyes were opening up, and I kept wanting to say, "This is what I this is what I I know about this." You know? So okay already, uh -huh. exactly. exactly. I think, yeah. And I think that that to me, there's that that that's a good knowing that spirituality is being you know infused into this other work. I think is a step in the right direction. Right. When all else fails, look at look right around you and what you your mother told you or, or what your gut told you. But you don't have the confidence when you're young and new and you don't have a degree behind your name to say what I used to sit in some of the, these studies and, and think to myself. One reason I I sort of left the field was I I liked it, but I thought just what you're saying. I thought they're missing personality factors. Like why? Well, I wasn't very good researcher i was a little anxious myself as a young person hard to believe but <laughs> and uh, i uh, i think my my subjects were not as relaxed with me as they might have been with my dad who was a salesman at least when he was young and, and he just he, he just knew this was true and you you just went right along with him i mean he could have sold anything he he tried to get us to go to bed by night at night by you know some song or dance and we believe him because he was such a good salesman but you know not everybody's born that way or trained that way or developed that way in their family and mm -hmm. i got into those other variables but i'm not good enough at the at the whole thing to put it together but i'm very interested in everything you're saying and and one reason i like you so much gail is that i knew you i knew you knew this when we first met out in california and you were at i, I remember you were helping in experiments at that point, what you've been talking about, but not as far along as you are now, 20 some years later. And that you just had that, you had that background for one thing and you don't have a psychic background like you do without something going on that so. Speaking about that, I had two questions about that with, you were 30, 35 years, you were a clinical psychologist and um, I'm wondering during those times, did you have uh, patients or people that you worked with where <laughs> they lucked out to get you because you wouldn't say to them if they were having spiritual or psychic experiences, 
that they were crazy and needed to be on drugs. Did you have, because I've seen that there's a difference. There are some people who really have a, a physical and mental, you know, uh, challenge and cannot deal with certain things and are a little out there. But then there's other people who got put into uh, uh, psychological uh, uh, medications and drugs and things for things mm -hmm. that were really, they didn't understand it as the psychiatrist that the person might really be having psychic and spiritual things go uh, on. Did you have a lot of that with people? I didn't, do, I, I wasn't working around here so much, but I, and I have had somebody, an adult now came up to me and he was just a 12 year old boy and tell me, thank you for telling me that it was okay to have a dream that came true and, and not be scared of it. And I do remember that because he came back as an adult and told me that. But, uh, but I do think it, it's, this is just something that people are, are learning now and are becoming aware of. And there are many, many uh, psychiatrists and, you know, there's a following now that would, wouldn't, uh, would do it differently. Uh, but there's still plenty who would give it popular pill and uh, which may you, you know, nothing against having a pill. And when you need it, you need it. And you need right. health care. Um, I'm not putting the clinical work down because it saves people's lives. Mm -hmm. But there is a, a belief, uh, it is not, uh, new to, not new to me, that early in life, one could go one way. It was really psychic. You're born with that or you develop that particular thing. And if you're not, if your mother slapped you around or somebody didn't told you that was wrong, and, and don't ever talk about it. It could lead you to a mental illness of itself because you'd be bottling up all that pain and that you might learn to escape into a world like uh, the, the famous medium Eileen Garrett did as a child because she was so unhappy with her surroundings and everything about it that she created a little imaginary world of her own. And later that development of being able to create and dissociate was what led her to be such a, a good, helped her so much with being a medium. So that tendency can be used either way. Even now, you know, if you've got a terrible pain, you can put your, maybe put yourself out of it better than some people can, uh, you, you know, like hypnosis and would do for you. You can do that yourself probably because you can, you've got control, some control of that wonderful uh, part of your mind or brain. Um, I think some of it's biological, some of it's spiritual, mm -hmm. all together. I, I, for a while, I was, I was Dr. Gale answering uh, uh, some emails from people that would be sending their, their scary experiences to the Institute of Noetic Sciences. Right. And I started before. finding a commonality. And I was wondering if you found that when you were reading the stories that your mother collected of, of regular people having extraordinary experiences. I found the commonness is, and I'm not saying everyone was like this that I, I, no. I, I listened to, but there was often some sort of intense trauma in their life, like the, the famous medium you're speaking about that she built a little world inside her. And um, I find that to be true for myself, that my survival was being able to sort of leave my body and and experience mm -hmm. this other realm and that place always felt safe for me yeah and I, I think you uh, and she are both good examples and there are many 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 more like that and so you're taking what was a liability and and turning it into an asset or what you learned from a liability yeah 
Exactly. But if other people could do it with, well, I do know of one person who said he was a scientist who lived uh, pretty much alone out. I mean, his family lived way out in the woods or somewhere. No, nobody around but the birds and the bees. So he spent a lot of time outdoor with nature and got into a sort of a framework of uh, a meditation. And and that that I think that's another way. And artists, uh, many of them, uh, have done, do it that go off into a world of their own without having to do it the hard way that you that you use. And maybe and maybe these courses and training, you know, the maybe we all can learn a, a lot more of that. Um, Speaking about that, I was uh, listening to something that you had said with someone about work with animals and intuition with animals. And I noticed I've seen a rise in, uh, I don't know if they're mediums or, but people who advertise that if your dog is having problems, they can come and they can sit with your dog. And I, I was also happy to read that your father was very discerning because there's a lot of phonies out there and a lot of people that are just taking advantage of your emotional state and wanting to connect. And then people take advantage with money. And yeah. um, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that and the connection to animals. Well, uh, I not, don't think I have anything particular, particular to add to that. We were very interested in, I helped them collect stories with animals of animals, you know, traveling across to their, find their, make their, make their um, master that have moved or coming home after being lost really far away or just knowing it. The dog that howls the day the master dies uh, 10 miles away or something where you pass the distance level, uh, animals knowing and being psychic. And I think that truly would be, uh, it, we stopped sort of studying, and uh, nobody's really studying science animals now. We had a bad thing years ago when the main person at the, at the, um, the, uh, the parapsychology lab uh, instituted was found to be cheating in his work with animals. And that had just killed, sort of killed the field. Nobody wants to work at it anymore, but I think he was finding some things. And then just like other times, it, it disappears for some reason. And he wasn't honest enough. He could just say, this isn't working anymore. So the field of, of working with animals, I think it's still big questions, but nobody's taking it up now, except these, these people that talk to animals and they found it to be a business. But if they could turn it into research, like we did at the Duke lab, I once was in an experiment with Dr. Osis in which we were trying to influence the way a cat would go to get its, its food. We had, it, it had two choices. And he, Dr. Osis did quite a bit of work with that, not just with me, with other people. And we found that animal, humans could affect the behavior of animals, um, which way they're gonna go. And I think other research has been in, France has shown that animals, little little chickens and things, can will move to where mother's going to be. Or I think there are many there's psychic experiences like that, but nobody's collecting them right now that I know of, mm -hmm. or trying to study it on the controlled situation. You know, all these things take time and energy, and it's uh, easier to work with humans right now. And funding. And funding. It's always funding. It's always a problem. It's interesting. That my dad at the very early. Uh, I'm up and reading it, uh, reading again, 1936, 35 and 36. He's early on was beginning to think now what we need is an institute that's endowed. Once you get it endowed, 
that never managed that at Duke. He got a lot of support all the time for 35 years until it was time for him to retire. But there was never just enough money to make to pay for the salaries of these young men and women who can't support themselves in this field without the money. Right. They, a lot they, of people keep up like you and I who aren't getting paid very much or anything for what we do. Right. Mine's all free. <laughs> I think it's all free for me. So we're just keeping up with it. And it's a great community at, at the Ryan Center, uh, even in spite of the pandemic being uh, of interest in it. So the interest is there. The people are there. And I noticed are coming in. As in, in the psychology world that um, I was at a, a conference called Council Grove in Kansas one year, and these people brought their horses and that there's something called horse therapy where they do healing work with people with horses. And I thought that was, I mean, that's a very large animal to be working with. <laughs> yeah. Not like a cat, you know, it's at least easier to move around, but a big yeah. giant horses. And they had very successful uh, results with patients that they worked with. Um, and they were healed with, you know, with horses. Yeah, I can imagine that. That it could so, be done. Yeah. Yeah. So what's, what types of experiments are being done now at the Rhine Research? And how do you feel about um, uh, the future? Well, things had this came to a screeching halt last March when we, the pandemic closed yeah. the lab down. And I think even at that time, um, there was a research grant from the BL grant and another grant. Uh, one of them was for continuing uh, research on this bioenergy uh, lab that uh, John Crude has developed with a, another scientist before him and he continued it. And they're working on, and they had gotten out two labs. So they're, they're trying, they want to study relationship between a healer and a healee in the next room and see if this, if they can detect any change in the bioenergy. I know that Dean uh, um, Radin did something of that sort. And I don't know if you were involved in that. And I don't remember that much about it, but I think it's the same area of interest. Of is there something that we can because we do know that healers have something special sometimes. I Dr. think Andy, that was a, never been found to have unusual bioenergy or. I I I'm not sure if that was there was the study about cancer and your partner where when they they discovered the results of um, uh, I guess I'm not sure if it was on the nervous system but when the person who had cancer had their partner send them healing love energy mm -hmm. at the at the at the end of the experiment of you know that there was the um the ones who weren't really getting it and then the ones who were really getting it mm -hmm. there was a difference in the amount of treatment that like it decreased how many trips to the hospital they needed or how much therapy or chemo or whatever they were receiving yeah, yeah. increased when the partners sent healing love and energy. And it wasn't like the partners were, you know, yogi people or anything like this. They, they were weren't just, trained, they were just, just ordinary partners. Right. They were just being told, 
know, to send love to the partner. Yeah. And these part the partner was sick with cancer. We're not just talking about they they weren't feeling well. Yeah. And there was a difference in the in in the health of the people who received the healing as opposed to the placebo people who did not receive it. I remember Russell Targ's daughter who passed away from the same cancer. Elizabeth. Elizabeth, right. And she had done some research that was having some difficult, maybe, I don't know if it ever got published, but she had some findings that were pretty interesting too, I thought, but uh, maybe of that same sort. It's not hard for you or me to imagine that this is happening if we can find ways to measure it. Exactly. I'm sure it's happening. I don't know how to measure it, but I'm always happy to, you know, offer up my experiences or subject in anybody's how experiments for that. You are to so many people like that. I hear Stan Kripner and other people mention your name. And yeah, that, that, I can yeah. see that happy medium at large. Yeah. <laughs> happy exactly. small medium at large. Yeah, we have Stanley. Uh, we have a, 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 an interview with Stanley coming up next week. Uh, I'm excited. Well, I thank him for the quote that he gave uh, for my book. It's uh, I see it. I saw it now on the Amazon page. So oh, he, he's just a wonderful human being, oh, yes. and he's done so much to help so many people. Oh, and uh, he doesn't live far from me. He's only 45 minutes away. Oh, so I've been, I've brought food during COVID and, you know, things for him that he wanted or whatever information. I wonder who, yes, I knew he had people caring for him and I figured you, you were one of them. Yeah, I'm definitely one of the caretakers providing whatever I, you know, all he has to do is send me a text. I need this and I'll get it for him right away. <laughs> and, and I'm so inspired that, the minds, you know, I'm 66 now and I have, I'm finding memory loss and, and oh, some aches yeah. and pains and all these things. And then I look at you and Stanley and these people, and I mean, you just finished another book and I believe you're 91 now. Is that correct? Right. Almost 91 and a half. Yeah. You're right. Well, I watched how you moved through your room very, very with ease and your brain is as sharp as can be. And I have to say, we had a party here for a friend, Jean Millay, and all these different scientists and researchers came for her. It was a goodbye party because she was going off. And when they all came, I looked around the room and everyone was between 75 and 90 years old and their minds were all as sharp and clear and brilliant as, as could be. They might've had body issues, but yes. not the mind, which well, makes me ask you, do you think this field, I know your mom lived to 91, your father lived to 85. Yeah. I look at Russell, I look at all these people and they're doing phenomenal work and age doesn't matter. Do you think it has something to do with this kind of work? I, th I think I think if you, or you, say, if you say mentally active, and you're, you know, my husband is not in this field at all, but he's, and he's been in, in rather poor health, but he's gotten back, not up to normal, but he's gotten back a long way because he's back into his radio show. And now he can do it, you on it once. And if you want to want to be it again, he would love to have you. Oh, I'd love to. I had such fun with him when he, he called me Wonder Woman. <laughs> he can, he can pre-record it on an hour when you're free. And then he's got a son who will help him get it. So it keeps him active. And you know what you're, you and I are saying, we know that we're mentally active. I just haven't had enough time 
to work on my book or uh, you know, write people about it and so forth. And I just and then there's other things I want to read. I want to read some of these good books that are coming out now. So there's no end to it. But I have to add to that that I'm a great believer in exercise, and I do that almost every day. I either walk a mile or I go to um, a group called Silver Sneakers, which yes. is a free kind of group with a social aspect to it, and it keeps me. Well, this is, this is important advice and information to be passing down to the next generations. Would you like to be 91 and interviewed? Well, you should be exercising every day and keeping your mind sharp and involved with other things. That's good. <laughs> and, oh, and put in that don't eat too much meat or cheese. Yeah. <laughs> eat those fresh vegetables. Oh, I, I was raised a I vegan. <laughs> And I, I, I keep hearing my, you know, when I'm eating something, I hear my father saying, so you're eating pork? What's the matter with you? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to ask you, if you were to come up with one particular letter or something from the new book that you just have out, uh, the letters of, um, as we call it, the J.B. Ryan letters, ESP and the Foundation of Parapsychology. Is there a letter that particularly stuck out in your mind or any particular story from that you'd like to share with us? You know, I can't, I can't think of anything profound right now, but I'll tell you one short one. Okay. We kept it in there. This is from a lady in England who wrote him and she said, her name is Lillian Esp, ESP. And she said, you should not use that name. That's my name. You have no right to use that name. <laughs> I have to say, your dad must have been a very strong man to deal with the criticisms and the, the skeptics. Because myself, like when I call up my, my brother-in-law and I say, oh, I just had this amazing experience. Russell called me and said, what's in my hand? And I described exactly what was his hand as he said, 99.9% .9 correct. And he just happens to call on the phone. So then, and for him, it always works. But then my brother-in-law says, okay, well, tell me what's in my pocket right now. And I can't tell him what's in his pocket right now. So he's sure everything I'm telling him isn't real. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. That's, <laughs> well, I, I, the one, uh, one thing about JB's books book is I like a lot and, and Stacey Horn the writer uh, who wrote that um, wonderful book um, unbelievable uh, about our lab the uh, lab uh, she commented on this she said JB or Dr. Ryan or JB is just uh, I can't believe his letters to the critics because we include a lot of them not all that were my god that we put the whole book of them and he always is very polite very often uh uh, or like one of them, he said, I don't really care what you believe. It's not what you believe. It's if you have something specific to tell me that can be helpful. And then I'll do my research better. So don't tell me you don't believe it. Stuff. I don't care. <laughs> but, but he said it so politely. And so it, it's, I have to laugh out loud when I'm, I know when he came home and he, he had to, I have to go out and chop some wood now because that's some of those letters. <laughs> he, he looks like a, he was a tall, handsome man. He was. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, but anyway, we've, we've had like interesting lives, you and I. 
I think maybe yours is more interesting than mine. It should be, I should be interviewing you, but we'll let Bill do that. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so do we have young people that are attending some of these events that? Yes, I'll tell you where they're coming from. Um, John Cruz, our director, is teaching. Uh, he's teaching a lot of courses and he's got Lloyd Arbach teaching and Paul Smith. You probably know them both. Yes. And other young people. He's going to get Robert Wagoner and some woman, uh, some other who's into cases. And they're, they're teaching they're teaching courses by Zoom, of course, like you and I are right now, on, on the evening classes. And they're getting a lot of young people. And they come in, I've met some of them by Zoom, because come in and chat for an afternoon group tomorrow afternoon at 3 to three five. Eastern Eastern Time. Uh, anybody can tune in for free. They can make a donation, or they can just tune in uh, from the Ryan Center and listen to these discussions and participate. The young people, I mean, are new people to the field. When they say, "Well, I had this experience and I don't understand it," uh, or, or blah blah blah, and so it's a chance. It's not just the general public that mixed in with a lot of the old timers uh, who. Um, like to discuss research too also, or how it could be made into research. I think that using these different platforms now like Zoom and uh, these podcast shows that you will reach more of the young people because that's where they go to get their information and uh, that's where they do their, you know, like if I asked my daughter a question, she said, just go online, you know, <laughs> everything's go online. So I think the more things like this uh, and, and the more like, I think uh, Dean has a site, uh, Sci, I can't remember the name now, Got Sci, I think. And it's oh, all these different games that they can play. The two games that uh, Russell has, the uh, ESP trainer and the Stargate new one, Stargate ESP trainer. These are things that are ways of, like I know young children love the ESP trainer one because all they have to do is pick which color you think is behind and the bell rings and it gets them interested. So I yeah. think there's a future um, way of getting more young people involved because of the new technology. I Absolutely. think that it has to be done. And we, yes, we've, uh, that's, we're seeing that very much. Everything you said is entirely true. And I hope the more will come out of that. I don't know what the next step is. Fortunately, I don't have to make these decisions. I'm just right. an honorary member of the board now. I don't have to look the other people. But it has the, these uh, classes and courses and things have brought in more people and more membership than we've ever had and more enthusiasm, even though we're not meeting face-to-face, -face, which I kind of miss. But, um, I mean, here we're talking face-to-face. -face. That's not like you and 25 other people talking, that's another experience and not quite as rewarding. <laughs> well, I also, I love the physical contact because if I was with you right now, I'd be giving you the biggest, longest hug that Great I could. Hugs, well, I can just feel your virtual hug. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so well, is there any other things that you want to share or talk about, uh, whether it's about anything from the book, The Gift? or um, from your recent book or from no, I, I just can say if we can get the, the, the book is this book is expensive although you can get it on ebook now for $33 but it's it's very expensive book unfortunately it is 
Uh, but it's, uh, and I'm trying to get it in the library, but I don't know quite how you do that. Or if you're living around here, I'm, I'm going to have a loaning service to people. They don't want to keep a big book forever. Actually, my children better. Uh, the book that Stanley Krippner recently published. Um, yes. Advances. Uh, about suicide. Oh, no. Oh, that understanding, understanding the allure of suicide. By the wow. way, I have a piece in that. I have a four-page piece in there oh, under sexual assault. So I was honored good. to be in Stanley's book. Good. Uh, yeah. He did it with his publisher is one that specifically does what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. uh, libraries, research. That's where that company, and they only do hardcover. And oh. he's hoping to be able to get it into paperback. Also, it's a pricey, it's a pricey book, but it should really be going out to regular people, not just psychologists and not just therapists, but people who experience suicides in their family. Oh, sure. So hopefully, but I think you should contact him and ask him about that, the, the connection for his publisher. Oh, because I wonder, it wasn't uh, McFarland that did the other one, Advances. His advanced uh, no. book was published by the same one that I, mine was, and it, it's the same price. But uh, that's here it the is. Last one. Yeah, I, I've, and, I've heard of book, what does it say, a publisher? It was published by Prager, P-R-A-E-G-E-R. Okay, so well, we and, have a publishing press here, and, and eventually some of our, I hope we'll do a little publishing of our own here, uh, but this one has got to sell right now and get into the libraries and, and, mm -hmm. and the reviews and, and get into the, among, among the parapsychologists will probably be the ones that I would think would buy it. Um, well, I'm going to order my copy today anyway, because I need to have it for my library. Oh. <laughs> I can put it next to the gift. <laughs> well, if you see any, yeah, if you see any funny uh, or, or, or inspiring letters, uh, we're going to be giving a talk at the Parapsychology Association, a panel talk. Barbara and I and my co-editor and Jim Carpenter are going to be talking about the book, but it'll be to the the parapsychologist is a little bit of different talking to you is the kind of audience I'd like to talk about. But again, I'm not trying to sell my books to them because it probably, I mean, it, it could be interesting if you're just getting into the field and you've got hints for how to do it. Otherwise it is a, a historical book and, and you can only expect a certain amount of that. But, but I did it for posterity I and that's all I care about. I think it's a great accomplishment and I'm sure your dad would be more than thrilled because wherever he is, he's saying, she's continuing my work. Thank <laughs> you, Sally. <laughs> well, Dale, thank you for helping me do that. And I help, uh, I have read some of your material. You sent me something and I passed it along. Maybe it was the chapter, but I, but I know that your, your book will read well. And I remember how you started out. And I'm glad you finally got it. Will it be published soon? It hasn't. It hasn't been published yet. I might have to approach a company in the future to see if they publish it at the Rhine. I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, I I, I I think that McFarland's is not a bad. Uh, ask Stanley what he thinks about them. They published his last book. They were okay. very good with me. Oh well. But, but they, they charge a lot. I mean, they you know they're they're a niche publisher and they don't do you got to do your own mm -hmm. proofing and stuff, which you would do. Right. Yeah. Well, I have a I have a book uh, proposal all done that's being presented right now to someone at the Hay House, but I don't know what's going to happen in any of these things. But I always, always feel like there's some kind of magic behind it all also. And that when the right 
situation presents itself, if that book is meant to go out into the world to, my, my thing was hoping that any of the stories I share and any of these interviews we do, if there's any way that it helps another person, that's my goal. It's not a monetary goal. It's a goal. Yeah, you'll do that right away. You already have because you've done so much like that. That's okay. well, all over the world too for you. Nobody no. else. <laughs> Mexico. It's <laughs> very sweet of you. Um, so I don't really want to wind up because I feel like I could talk with you forever. But um, I just want to take a quick look here and make sure I've covered all the things I wanted to ask. And um, let's see. Oh, it looks like we've done everything. Oh, here's my last question. Do you think science, because now you've been there doing this for decades and decades and decades, has anything improved or changed in the scientific views of the paranormal? I mean, they're allowing the possibilities mm -hmm. of UFOs you hear about in the news now. So is something happening in this field where they're starting to realize like, hey, th this is really something here that's very important for the people? I don't know, you know, authority, authority, whether it's the church or big science or big pharma, mm -hmm. okay? around the edges are people who really believe in the real science. And I will take that fact, even if it's, I can't believe it. Or, or people who will say, I, you know, I don't know if there's a God or not, but I'm choosing to believe in a spiritual world. And, you know, and I'm not saying something doesn't happen, but, but be honest about it. And I don't know if science, conventional science, you know, somebody said, while there's death, there's hope because they die off, those old scientists who don't believe in it. But that means there've got to be some young ones coming and there are not as many of them now I don't, I think now the, the Parapsychology Association has a larger membership than ever, and they're doing a mentorship program and they're doing, they're reaching out more. That's so good. I'm inspired by the things that I'm hearing being done. And after this conference that I'm going to attend now, uh, I probably will be inspired again. So I'm not giving up. Well, I'd love to have you on a separate text or email if you could just send me some of the, either the links or the dates of the things that we could post for our viewers to see of things that might be upcoming at the Rhine that you think like the, yeah. the pub, anything that, and then so that it could at least, they know they could go there and maybe we can generate some more membership for the Rhine research. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. The people, like the people like, you know, Charlie Tart, you know? Yes. Yeah, he's going to speak to us in October. I hope he's still okay. I know he's, tells me he's life's a little tough for him yes uh, eileen garrett a, a grandmother uh lizette coley is going to be speaking august the 19th and these are daytime programs um i mean uh, i'll send you the i'll just send you the program event yes yeah, perfect perfect just gonna, so uh, lizette and i are very good friends because we both try to manage things and she's a better job than i am but you know there's She's the granddaughter of a fairy. Granddaughter of Eileen Garrett, right? And she runs the Parapsychology Foundation mm -hmm. in New York, but she's running out and she doesn't have much money either. And uh, more, and uh, so I don't know how it will be, but both of those are speaking to us on a Wednesday afternoon. And that's, it's an open meeting. I described it earlier. It's called the Research Discussion Group. 
anybody can listen in and because Charlie wants to be interviewed by me or John. And so he'll be, you'll hear, hopefully it'll be John who will ask him research questions. But Charlie has a lot of interesting, I mean, he's not your dry, your typical dry psychologist. He's, he's a, a you know, fascinating person. I've had some good laughing time with him when I met him. <laughs> yeah. Well, he doesn't remember me, but what a, what a yeah. wonderful man. And John Cruz, I'm hoping to be able to interview him in the future. He's on my contact list. So yeah. I've had wonderful times visiting with him at different parapsychology conferences. You have a wonderful representative. A list of people that are speaking for us. Uh, I'm still helping with that, but I'm not in charge anymore. But I do know what's going on. And there's some others whose names I don't know. But every now and then there's a really, you know, an unexpected new person coming up. They're, they're not gone now. They're just hunkered down with a, trying to make a living, I guess. Yeah. And, I, you know, that's some of the part of um, the silver linings in, in this COVID was that there's been time to focus on myself making a podcast on uh -huh. other people finishing their books. Stanley said because of the, 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 the lockdown period, he was able to complete his book and he's finishing a memoir now and he's 88. <laughs> he must work all the time. I think, I don't know if he sleeps. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I have to tell him that. Hey. Okay. Well, well I think that we'll start to wind up our show now, so unless there's anything so else. I, I just have to give my emotional comments here because that's who I am. I'm a very hard person. I hope I don't cry, but oh. I just, I loved when we first met at, at the parapsychology conference more than 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I love the connection and support that I have always felt from you. And when you have these kind of different experiences in life and you don't have necessarily, you know, logical, supportive people, when you have them there present themselves and let you know that you're okay, it's, it means the world to me. And I just want to thank you for who you've been. I don't know if you realize, but the things you've said to me, the comments you've made have made me go through my next little paragraphs and stages of life with oh. a more supported feeling. And I just want to thank you so much for who yeah. you are. Thank you so much for saying that. That that means a lot to me too. I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I've got my, my, I was, when I was at that meeting and we met, I didn't know anybody. I was, oh my God, I, where am I? And, you know, I thought I knew so much about people. I got there and I was so lonely and I, I discovered you and I, that was made by my meeting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, we were meant to find each other and I'm so glad we're together. So we'll, we'll, we'll see you again soon. And I look forward to checking in on the upcoming talks at the Ryan Research Center. And I look forward to buying a copy for my library so that my library will have the letters of J.B. Ryan edited by his daughter, Sally. Have a very- and I want to know, and you'll let me know when, the po when your podcast, when your program is on the air. Yes, for people. I'm going to do that after I, um, I think it'll probably be um, um, maybe three weeks from now, something like that, but it'll be, uh, it'll be within a month's time. Okay. Very good. Okay. So good. looking forward good to it. Good.
Okay, and please give my best to your husband. I loved being on his show. Yeah, you may be hearing from him. Okay, tell him I'll be ready. I'll be ready. <laughs> okay, love you. Bye. So thank you very much for joining us today. I hope you listeners enjoyed our show. I hope you viewers on YouTube will like us. Maybe even join us. Spotify, podcasts, Google, all the different platforms that are ahead. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what you guys have to say. If you want to email me, all the information will be there in the directive. And I look forward to seeing you again in our next show, A Small Medium at Large, podcast with Gail Heisen. Thanks and have a really great week. Bye.